2 Kings chapter 12 this evening, ruining God's blessings is, I think, the dominant theme. Our attention last chapter was on the brave and heroic actions of the aunt of this king and his uncle. Jehoiada was the uncle. He's a key figure in this evening's consideration. When he, the king was an infant, of course, his grandmother, Athaliah, tried to kill him, having already killed other grandchildren, anyone who had a, a legitimate claim to the throne. And this chapter turns our attention to what happened to that child that was saved, that was spared. And really, largely, this is a commentary on Second Chronicles 24, which gives us more information that we, than what we get out of Second Kings. Having survived the assassination attempt, he's off to a great start. But just a quick review, in addition to the review I've already given. His father was idolatrous, Ahaziah, killed by Jehu. His grandmother was the witch of the south, Athaliah. He is of the Davidic line. He had, he had a heroic aunt, Jehosheba, an exceptional mentor in Jehoiada, Special wives were chosen for him. When I say special, they were chosen by Jehoiada, the godly priest. And one would conclude that these women were special because they were godly women. I think they're going to come up in a little bit. I'll, I'll bring them up again soon. In this chapter, we start off, whenever I get to it, with this moment of hope in his life when he repairs the house of the Lord but then comes the apostasy, and it is a heavy apostasy also. He ruins the blessings of God. He doesn't finish. He has an awful finish. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And this king, he fought a good fight for a while, but he did not finish the race. He did not keep the faith. So we look at verse 1, 2 Kings 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Now, Joash is the extended name, or Jehoash is the extended name of, of Joash. And it would be nice if they just stayed with one name and not these alternates. They're hard enough, especially when you have duplicates. And Anyway, it is this way, and we have to just work around it. Verse 2, Jehoash, and I will alternately refer to him as Joash, did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Well, he starts out, the historian, with this overview and is critical. This is a colossal fact and statement. Jesus said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this man is not going to endure to the end according to the standards of righteousness that we get from the scripture. All the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Character is influence. And influence makes an impact. It means something. It is supposed to contribute from the righteous, from the perspective of the righteous. It is supposed to contribute to glorifying God. The discipleship's another word for this influence. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, 
grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which is in you. I'm not going to try to explain that away to fit some theological position. It says precisely what it is intended to say, and it means just as we read it in the English, the Greek, or any other language, if indeed it is conditional. Otherwise, there'd be no such word as apostasy. Apostasy means to fall away, not to stay away, but to fall away. I mean, it has saying away in it also, but that is, you have to first be there to get to that state that uh, going beyond backsliding into apostasy. So Jehoiada, this powerful influence for good in the kingdom, he stabilized the kingdom just by his presence, his walk with God, having the godly wife that he did. Second Chronicles chapter 24, the parallel passages are there. We get more insights. It says, but Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. This is a priest that gets buried with the kings. When Joash dies, he won't get buried with the kings. The righteous honored the memory of Jehoiada, but Joash would trample it. Actually, he'll even kill the son of Jehoiada. And so when Jehoiada died, Joash abandoned his spiritual compass. His direction to Yahweh was lost. Willful. This was willful. No one put a gun to his head. This is what he wanted to do. Was he bitter towards God because he lost Jehoiada? Well, if he was, that's not excuse enough. If you lose a righteous influence in your life, don't lose your faith too. That doesn't make any sense. Or was he happy to be rid of Jehoiada so he could blaze his own trail? He could be his own man. He's no longer accountable. This is what happened to Nero. Nero under Seneca and Burris, he, he did well. But it looks, it seems as though he got sick of their controlling influence, of their philosophies, even though these are unbelievers. And, and, and you look at that Roman Empire, and these people were savages. I mean, they just, even high-class ones. But back to this. Maybe some of that is going on. In the end, it, it doesn't matter. He becomes an apostate, and he has no grounds for this. When Jehoiada, who was the salt of the earth in Israel, that's the testimony he left behind. This is something that's available to all of us, wherever we find ourselves, to be that righteous influence, to slow down the evil. When the salt of the earth in Israel died at this time in their history, the weasels and the rats came out from the shadows. It was not truth that made them idolaters. It, truth cannot make you an idolater. It's pleasure. It's not being held accountable. It's having a say-so. This is laid out for us, This what happened in Second Chronicles 24, verses 17 through 20. 
Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. It's Joash. And the king listened to them. That's what kings are supposed to do, to appoint. Therefore they left the house of Yahweh God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to Yahweh, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. That's the rest of the story. Thus the subsequent drift into idolatry and apostasy, which goes together. What a person believes ultimately determines how that person's going to behave. Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, held to what his father taught him concerning Yahweh, and he stood up to Joash the king. So the Joash the king, who came under the same influence, had no excuse. Well, of course, Joash had Zechariah the son killed. Second Chronicles 24, verse 22. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son, And as he did, he said, Yahweh, look on it and repay. Quite different from the Lord's prayer from the cross. Father, forgive them from Stephen's death at the stoning. This is the Old Testament and the dispensation, the period of time, and how God operated with men was different. And so the ruining of God's blessings, there it is, thoroughly ruined. He could have always repented, and we have no record that he ever did. And so early, early in his reign, he repairs the temple. He restores true religion. He, he is the one that killed the Baal worship in Judah, and then he's the one that revives it. That's sin is sick stuff. It's very powerful. Second Chronicles 24, Therefore they left the house of Yahweh God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. God, God tells us this is why the Jews suffer like they suffer and suffered in their history. It's, it wasn't just, oops, look what happened to them. There was a reason for it. God's judgment came quickly after that in the form of the Syrian invasions which resulted in wounding Joash the king, but that wasn't his end. The end was his own two servants finished him off because he killed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. We'll we'll revisit that at the end. So that's an overview that verse 2 gives us when it says, Joash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. We would love for that to have said he did right in the sight of Yahweh all his days, period. But he doesn't finish the race. He doesn't keep the faith. Big lessons for us. And not only lessons for us to consider, but to look for an opportunity to share. Verse 3 But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, that in itself is not a strike against the king because good kings, they tried. It was very difficult. These were open-air, hilltop worship centers. 
that the Israelites just uh, assumed or, or just took on when the Canaanites were pushed out. They went to these places and they said, well, we're going to worship here. We're going to worship Yahweh here. Well, there was some idolatry in some of them too, but not all the time. Once the temple was built by Solomon, these were made obsolete and forbidden as a center of worship. Christianity has made Judaism obsolete. So it's, it's, it's you know, this is, it's, there's precedence for, the, for this. And Hebrews tells us that God made it, made the old system of worship obsolete, Christ fulfilling, of course, the rituals, the types, and the requirement. But even if they were sacrificing to Yahweh at these sites, it, it, Deuteronomy 16 is where the pro- prohibition is, and then it picks up in Second Chronicles 7 when Solomon has the temple built and says, okay, this, this is the center of worship now. And so these places, they were, they were sinning, um, but uh, as I mentioned, not necessarily with false god, gods. It, not, you know, when I first used to teach the Bible in, er, decades ago, um, it, uh, it, it just frustrated me that these kings couldn't clean up, you know, <laughs> clean up the city. What is, why are they still doing this? You're the king. Stop this. But I've learned. I've learned how difficult it is to remove from professed believers unedifying things. Once they grab hold of it, it is so hard to get it out. And you've got to choose your battles carefully. People can have a strong grip on wrong views on things that are not edifying. You may, they may say, well, what's wrong? I'll give, you, I'll give you one. Here it comes. So if you get hit by it, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you say, well, you should have said it, but I did. And here it is. Interpretive dance. What is that in the church? Why can't you do it in your backyard or in a tent or under the bed? But don't bring it into God's house. Are you kidding me? Who thought it? I got a good idea. Let's get the women to come up and dance in front of everybody. And we'll say it's okay because they're worshiping God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying. And there, there are other things that we'll just stop right there. I want to read that from Corinthians. Because if there was a church that Paul had to deal with that would have brought such a thing in, it would have been Corinth. Corinth, you could tell you when you were in the church at Corinth because the walls were padded. (laughs) All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Men do not need to come to church to see women dancing. I'm, I'm just leaving it there. There are other problems, too. And, you know, the women will say, what's wrong with this? Discernment is a critical feature. Now, I'm, uh, you know, that, that's, you know, how passionate am I about that? Well, if someone was to stand in front and start dancing, I would probably dive from the chancel <laughs> and take them out. Okay, have a little fun with that. Verse 4, now, that doesn't mean they're going to hell. I should point this out. It doesn't mean that they're evil people. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when things like this, so if you're listening to me and you're saying, I'm not listening to you, I've been part of these dance teams, I like it, yeah, that's fine. You see, you prove my point. You can't get this stuff out once it gets in, not easily. Verse 4, and Joash said to the priests, 
I'm sorry, I just think I could just hear somebody. But my mother's church does it, and I love it. Anyway, verse 4. And Joash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of Yahweh, each man's census money, each man's assignment money, assessment money, pardon me, and all the money that a man possesses in his heart to bring into the house of Yahweh. Now, chronologically, we are now back before the death of Jehoiada. He is still alive. He shows up in verse 7 as a part of this. Second Chronicles, again, chapter 24, verses three, verse 3. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of Yahweh. So he said, why are you reading this about his wives? Because it clearly says in Chronicles that after these two women came into his life, he sets about to repair the house of God. I get the impression that these two women were very godly and they influenced him. They had something to do with this. Uh, when, jo- when, when Jehoiada said, you know, these would make good wives for the king because these are godly women. When women behave like women, instead of trying to be like men, more gets done. The, the whole role of the helpmate is not to overthrow and become the primary. Well, that's, that sounds like it's, it's uh, devaluing, and I don't want to do that at all, because women are, and men are equal in value to God, and they are separate in assignment. And it's just as loony for a man to say, well, it's not loony, it's demonic, for a man to say, I wish I could have kids. See, this is why Christ tells us, to the pastors, not given to violence. Because, <laughs> well, how do you respond to that? We, and so, you know, there are lines. They are distinct, and they are to be maintained. And these women, behaving like godly women, is my impression from reading this, why it's put there in Chronicles just like it is, is because of their influence and the power that came out of that influence for the kingdom, for the whole nation. The whole nation was going to benefit from this. All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of Yahweh. Well, this money is accrued from various, four sources, the king, and he's going to to enumerate them. He's going to lay them out. But the dedicated gifts, these are the valuables collected from defeating the enemies of the Lord on the battlefield, spoils of war. 2 Samuel chapter 8, King David also dedicated these to Yahweh along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he subdued. That would include tribute. It says here in verse 4, each man's census money of a half shekel from men 20 years of age and up. They, those are men fit for war, the old enough to go to war. Whenever the census was taken, which was not specified, it seems to be re- re- relatively random, although there was that event with David. Each man's assessment money, redemption money, um, these, these are sources of the income to rebuild the house, to repair, pardon me, repair the house of God which would have been, we know it as Solomon's temple, the first temple. It says here at the bottom of verse 4, and all the money that the man, that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of Yahweh. Free will. This is the zeal of the Lord. 
I just want to give to God. That, that's what is happening here. Now, if I were a prosperity teacher, I'd be laying it on you right now. I'd be laying, telling you how guilty you are for having no faith to give more money to the church so I can, I wouldn't say that part, but I would be thinking so I can get myself a bigger house. Prosperity teaching is, is wicked. It just presents, makes Christians a bunch of greedy grubbers. Just get into that house and get you some money and use faith to do it. I don't know why I have to change voices like that. Sorry, but it's just, a, I don't know, so the ones I know of sound like that. Anyway, money from the dedicated things, money from the census, money from the redemption and trespass um, assessment on the, the, the sinner and the people, and money from personal vows. Second Chronicles 24.10, Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all had given. So their chronicle says that the, this was a welcome responsibility of the people. It wasn't forced on them. They enjoyed paying for the repairs of God's house. This was an act of worship to them. Now, I don't know what part to put it in. Maybe I'll just do it now and get it out of the way in case we run out of time. We don't earmark money in this ministry. If you want to give, you give. Once you give, it belongs to the overseers, the, 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 the shepherds of the church. But there are some little twists that go with this. Not that it's wrong. It's not sinful. If another church wants to do that, that's, I'm, not, no, I'm not saying they're sinning to doing it. But I am saying it can create big problems. For instance, say you say, I want to I pay for a new sign for the church, like outside on the Calvary Chapel. Any of you think know how much a sign like that might cost? You can get a new car. <laughs> most for, Anyway, and so you say, I want to give this money to the church for that sign. But then the church realized, hey, we got some other bills here. We have to get these paid or we can't stay open. And then the person comes back, I gave you the money for the sign. Well, you know, see, you create that problem. But, for instance, our teen ministry, we have people here that say, come up to us and say, I would love to sponsor a teen in camp. And so we'll work with them on that. But with the understanding, once you give the money to the church, it's the church. You have no say-so over this. Now, we do, of course, uh, those families that would benefit from it. Uh, we, we most certainly do. It's our pleasure. So I'm not saying it's wrong to, to do this. If a person says, well, I want to give $1,000 to the new building. So, you know, you can just give to the church. Now, if another person came up and said, I want to give $5 million to the new building, we would say, you don't have to tell us what to do with that. We know what to do with that. You see? Just lighten up. Uh, but, you know, Christians learn Christianity in other churches, and they bring it here, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't fit well most of the time. And, um, you know, it's, it's just be a new wineskin. Are you getting hurt? Are you losing anything? Are you gaining weight because we do things differently here? <laughs> Go, I'm leaving that church. They did things differently. I put five pounds on. Well, it's possible because you get all upset and you go home and you get a whole box of cookies and then blame us. All right. All right. So verse 5, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever the dilapidation is found. So the priests were entrusted with getting this command of the king done, and it is a command. This constituency here, the Hebrew is the, 
the acquaintances, and that would be uh, the individuals, the, the Levites and the priests were uh, entrusted with overseeing. They, they were assigned districts, and, and those in their uh, area of ministry, uh, that is who uh, it, it refers to, in the cities of Judah. This is not northern, the northern kingdom. And this movement, initiated by the king, should have res- renewed spiritual zeal for Yahweh here in the priests and Levites, but there seems to have something had gone wrong. Again, Second Chronicles, the reason why they're doing this building fund to repair the temple. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of God, the house of Yahweh, to the Baals, the, the false gods, pagans. So that's where the damage came from. Six years of neglect and, and damage. And now there. And this, and I should also add, this is not the local church. This is the national place of worship. They're not fundraising for synagogues, for example. This is um, something that was from the beginning. When, when Moses was entrusted with building the tabernacle in the wilderness, the people gave. So much so that Moses turned them away. Oh, we got more than enough. We don't need any more. And, uh, and something, again, you'll not see a prosperity teacher doing. Uh, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Well, um, well verse 6. Now it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. Well, he is either 23 or 29 years old. See, it's very difficult to button down these numbers. And the reason why is, did they start counting from the time he was born because Athaliah was the illegitimate uh, queen? Or did they start after he, she was killed and he was seven years old? I mean, where did they start the count? And these are things that are all over the Old Testament. There's some in the New and it's just not worth getting all caught up in. We don't know. We have no point of reference here, so we don't know how long of an interval there is from the time he gave the command to the time he's now calling them in. This is the biblical uh, teaching on dealing with contractors. <laughs> how come the work's not done? <laughs> uh, it's a tough. It's tough. I mean, construction's a hard thing. I know you. You, you pay, and they don't show up for two, three weeks. And you, <laughs> okay, enough of that flashback stuff. One time I came in. I contracted the carpenter was sleeping. He's sleeping in the room. He's supposed to be nailing and measuring and sawing. He's sleeping. All right. He had a fever. That part I should. I shouldn't leave out. <laughs> anyway, what a thought. The house of God on earth can be damaged. It says a lot about man. It says a lot good and bad. It says bad for those who damage it, but it's good for those who are engaged in repairing it. Spiritual war includes taking back things which are lost. The Lord Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And his entire life was spiritual war, as ours is supposed to be. The priest had not repaired the damages of the temple, it tells us here in verse 6. Uh... This, of course, it, the work's not getting done. 
inactivity? Is it through negligence? Is it through apathy? Why aren't the priests getting it done? Is it, is it that they're not getting enough money to support themselves and to pay for the repairs of the house of God? Um, that's what we need to, we're considering. Why is there a problem? And the historian leaves it somewhat classified as though he is saying, well, the priests had legitimate arguments, and so did the king. And rather than get into that, because they were both right, and we'll just pass over it. That's what, what, how it appears to be. Uh, even in Chronicles, it really doesn't give us the outright answer. And I don't think that they're shielding the priest or, or the king from embarrassment. I think it just got con- became convoluted. It was just got confusing with other problems coming into the picture. Because the priests are really not rebuked, other than why isn't the work done? Okay, you're not going to do it anymore. We're going to do it this way. But there's no, you know, Yahweh get you for this or anything like that. Verse 7, so King Jehoash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priest and said to them, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. So, again, why is not the work getting done? It appears he's saying that whatever monies you have earmarked for this, you know, deliver it for repairing the temple and don't take any more. And he said to them, why have you not repaired the temple? So he's holding them accountable, as is his, his role. He is supposed to do that. Um, he continues here in verse 7. Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency. Well, we are, sus- we are expected to be faithful with what we're assigned to do. Uh, we expected them to get the work done. Uh, he did, and he was wrong. Well, we expected him to be faithful, and we were wrong about him. He wasn't faithful. Um, I just kind of threw that in because it just popped in my mind. But anyway, I, I think the problem was a money issue. They just weren't getting enough money to go forward with the project and still... Uh, support themselves, and the nation was obligated to support the priest and the Levites. And so we're, uh, because the historian gives no explanation, I stand by, it's a hint to us that maybe uh, both sides had good reason. You could say, well, then why didn't somebody speak up? Well, you could say a lot of things. I, I would agree with that. Uh, but deliberate for repairing the damages of the temple. So he now eliminates the middlemen. King Josiah will follow this pattern when he rebuilds the house of God 200 years later. Verse 8, And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. They were like, fine, we're out of this. I mean, it puts us back to being priests and Levites and and not contractors or general contractors. So uh, they're out of the fundraising and the contracting side of uh, the, the story. Uh, but they, we, when we get to verse 16, it will tell us that the priests were cared for with the, the, the proper offerings. And so, again, it doesn't seem to be anything hostile here. Verse 9, then Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, bore a hole in it, in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of Yahweh. And the priest who kept the door put all the money brought into the house of of Yahweh. 
So at, this is at the king's command it's when Jehoiada takes this box. And we get that from Second Chronicles 24, verse 8. That the king commanded this. That's the solution. They just worked on a solution together. We got a problem. Let's fix it. And it is nice to see that uh, it, it appears to have worked out. When the people heard that the project was now under royal supervision, they seemed to be encouraged and, and gave more. Verse 10, so it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe, verse 10, and the high priest came up and put, in, put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of Yahweh. So they put, uh, Jehoiada drills a hole in the box, they put offering boxes, they just make them available. And they're, they're not saying anything, but this is what we want to do. And it is a very beautiful picture of the people rallying to have their, their place of worship repaired. There is a chain of custody that provides a system of accountability, but it, it turns into faith later where they're not checking anything. They're like, we know what, we, we trust you. Um, Come, continuing on, verse 11. Oh, I should add, the people are giving the money, but they don't have a say-so in what gets done first, what kind of, you know, should that be cedar wood or should we use cypress? They, you know, that's not in, in their hands. And, and there's, sometimes it's good. I think many times it's good, as a matter of fact. Oh, you think almost all the time it's good, verse 11. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Uh, verse 11, and they gave the money which had been appropri- uh, apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of Yahweh, and they paid it out to the carpenters, the builders, who worked on the house of Yahweh. Labor is worthy of his wages. These guys weren't working for free, nor should they be expected to. Verse 12. And to the masons, the stone cutters. Now, these masons, they weren't working for free. They weren't Freemasons. That's pretty clever. Okay, you can tell me all about it later, how, how clever it was. <laughs> uh, where was I? Verse 12. Through the masons, the stone cutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, which is Yahweh, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. So the various trades are there, which indicates the damage was extensive. They didn't just have a guy come, well, I can do a little sheetrock, and I can do that too. We got a little wiring. That's no problem. No, these are, these are whole trays here, so it was pretty severe damage. Second Chronicles, again, chapter 24, verse 13. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. Is that not beautiful language? I mean, the whole story ends up being... Just a, a, a win situation for everybody. Uh, it's the, the plan was a good plan in the beginning, but it didn't work. So they, they adjusted the plan. No one seems to have been damaged in or hurt in this. And then the people rallied to the support. They put their money where their mouth is. The workers, they, they, they are hard workers, according, you know, as, a, as it is in the book of Haggai, the people had a mind to work. Oh, that was Nehemiah, sorry. They had a mind to work, so the wall went up. Well, it's the same thing here. And they reinforced it. I just, that strikes me, the spiritual applications to my personal devotions to the Lord. To get back to where I used to be at some point, you may, you may come to that place in your walk where you just 
don't have the zeal you once had, when you rebuild it and you reinforce it. Verse 13. Uh, I'm going to pause there again. Because maybe you, you will have your chance if you remain faithful to the Lord to where you notice that the zeal is just not as it used to be. The, the, the candle's not burning as bright. And sometimes there's no reason you put your finger somewhere. This is why. You know, this didn't, I didn't get the job I wanted. Now I've just got to struggle. That, that could be too. But it doesn't have to have a reason that you can put your finger on except that you're a sinner. And uh, you, you work to restore your faith, to build it back up, and, and reinforce it. And it can take a long time. But you, that you keep at it irritates hell. The fact that you, I'm not backing down from this. I may take smaller steps. I may read lesser sections. But I'm not going to give up on this fight. I will get my faith to where it needs to be. So help me, Lord. Verse 13. However, there were not made for the house of Yahweh basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of Yahweh. So the money went for repairing the structure, the, the facility itself, but these articles for worship, what about them? Um, anyway, the trimmers, they were used to keep the lampstands burning bright, and that's true. In your life as a Christian, you sometimes have to trim the wick to keep it burning bright. You have to, maintenance is a part of Christianity. These items will be carried off as plunder. We read in Second Chronicles, so it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him, that is Jehoash, the present king, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. And of course, if they didn't get it all, well, Nebuchadnezzar will follow later and he will take it all. Whatever is left, whatever is restored. Verse 12, but they had, yep, verse 12, but they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of Yahweh with it. So um, just a point that we should probably make here, New Testament point, is we do not meet in a place, uh, we meet in a place we assemble to worship, but we do not meet in one place of worship. What we do is meet around one person in worship. And this is old school Christianity. This is not an original uh, statement. It's just old school. It's not one place to worship in, but one person. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to the woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And that had several applications to it. And one of them is that God is our Lord. We approach him anywhere, anywhere that we are. Well, because we can't be anywhere else. We can only be where we are. Verse 15. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. So the workers were so honest and faithful that nobody checked on them. No one had sus cast suspicion. What are you doing with the money? Did you, I see you have a new robe. Did you use some of that money for that? They received the benefit 
of trust, trustworthy men, drew no suspicion. And this is an outstanding feature. Um, there are things I could get into now that Christians and churches do, and I'm just going to pass on it because I don't know that I don't feel led to say it, not because I don't want to. I do want to say it, but, but if the Lord doesn't give me the green light, then, then I can't say it. But anyway, no fussing and arguing. I, I guess it comes down to if you, if you don't trust other drivers, stay off the road. Uh, this trusting is a part of life. Uh, there, there are times when you have to watch, for sure. In this church, we have board members, and they are—they—they uh, they can tell if there's any embezzlement going on or anything shady like that. You don't open that up to everyone. And, well, let me just show everybody the books here. Because <laughs> why? Because if we're criminals, we're not going to show you the true books. <laughs> we're going to cook the books and show you something else. Because we're criminals. And if we're honest men, and this is the Lord leading us, why do you need to look? Well, so I can fuss, so you can protest, so you can throw your two cents in, but that's what we don't want. And yet, it, um, it happens all the time. And one, I remember one, actually, I'm saying the things that I felt I shouldn't say because I now feel led to say them. So there's a young girl, and she's so happy with the worship here, and she said, well, you know, when do I get to look at the books? <laughs> you don't. Maybe the snickering on my part was a bit much. No, I, I didn't snicker. As I'm a professional, until I get to my office, and then I can. Anyway, uh, so I told her, you know, why we don't do that. And uh, she said, oh, it's no problem whatsoever. We never saw her again. Because it was a problem for her. And it's like, what, what are you going to do? Okay, you know, here's what we give to missions. Are you happy with that? Is that okay? You're not okay with that? Well, what do you think we should do? Well, what else do you think we should do? How about you be in a pulpit Sunday, and I'll just stay home. It's not offending anyone. It's not, we're not breaking laws. See, Paul never said, hmm, what should I do? <laughs> Let's put it to a vote. Paul said, we're going that way. And what did they do? They rallied behind him. When he told Timothy and Titus, I'm going to Corinth, and I need you to go back and check on Thessalonica or go to Berea, that's what they did. Uh, these things are not bad, but we Americans, you know, we don't like to be told to do anything. <laughs> it's like, a free country. I have a right. It's my constitutional right. You know, it's more about your biblical rights. Anyway, coming back to this, uh, at verse 17, because is that where we are? I got caught up into another dimension. <laughs> Whether I was in the spirit or... No, all right, anyway. Uh, verse 16. The money from the trespass offering and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of Yahweh. It belonged to the priest. And so there the priests are taken care of according, in accordance with Leviticus 7. Um, uh, they, they're getting their income, and they should. Verse 17, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, Jehoiada is dead at this point. So we, we don't have a time stamp, but we know he is no longer around. And this is a judgment of God. He's using the king of Syria. This is the Hazael, who the prophet Elisha looked at and wept, said, you're going to kill your master, King Ben-Hadad, and he did kill him. Is, is my master going to survive this sickness? Yes, but you're going to kill him. <laughs> so I guess no. Anyhow, um, he had already conquered other parts of Israel, and uh, he is 
going to come to Jerusalem as read already. Second uh, Chronicles 24, again, for the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but Yahweh delivered a great army into their hand because they had forsaken Yahweh, God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. Now, of course, this is for his apostasy. He will be killed for killing the son of Jehoiada. This is two separate judgments that he will have to deal with. The people were in cahoots with him in the false worship. So they got what was prophesied, what was coming to them. You would think they would say, the Lord prophesied these things. Let's change back from the false gods to the true God. But we don't read about that. Verse 18, And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his father Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasury of the house of Yahweh and the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So he takes all the articles that they labored to, all of the things that God had given them and their fathers had acquired, he gives it away to appease the king instead of fighting by faith, as other kings will do and have, have done, such as Jehoshaphat. He gives us a way to avoid war. But his grandfather, Jehoshaphat, he sought the prophets. He called upon Yahweh. He moved the people to call upon Yahweh. And they, they had great victory. Second Chronicles 17. Speaking of Jehoshaphat. And his heart took delight in the ways of Yahweh. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden image of Judah. From Judah, pardon me. Second Chronicles 17 again. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent leaders. And then verse 9. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of Yahweh with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And so there's King Jehoshaphat wanting to educate the people, understanding that people who were ignorant of their God were not an asset. It was not a virtue that they had to learn, and that's why the priests and Levites were there, and so he put it to use. But Joash caves to the request. We don't read of him calling on Yahweh after Jehoiada. Second Chronicles, again, chapter 24, verse 25, And when they had withdrawn from him, for well, they left him severely wounded. His own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. And so they went away, they came back, they had war. It didn't work, appeasing the enemy. Uh, a warning to us all. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, they are. <laughs> it's just kind of cute how they ask these questions. Like It's rhetorical, but we, just, we know the answer, so why not spit it out? The death of Joash, the chronicler, in Chronicles, not here in Kings, exposes Joash for ruining the blessings, for ruining God's blessings, being saved from death as a little child, having such people around him, the two wives, 
the two mentors, his aunt and his uncle, the people who were all part of hiding him, the soldiers that rallied behind Jehoiada to make him king. And this is what he does. In the end, he turns away from their God, from his God. And what's he get out of it all? What, what is, what's the payoff? Well, he gets death. You're right. And then what? Because there is a then what? He gets judgment for violating the first commandment, among others. Thou shalt, not have, thou shalt have no other gods in my sight. Verse 20, and his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the Milo, which goes down to Scylla. And I'm not going to stay on all of that part. Suffice it to say, they killed him. Verse 21, for Jazakar, the son of Shimeath and Jehozabab, now, are you getting this? Because we're going to go over it Sunday morning. Now, my call on you from the pulpit. <laughs> Who's the son of Shomar? Quick. And the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him. Now, it's two men here, but their fathers are listed too, so it sounds like four, but it's two men that are doing the killing. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then, as a Uriah, his son, reigned in his place. So it's a heartbreaking end to an encouraging beginning, a courageous beginning. And you, you just say, was it wasted? Well, no, it wasn't wa- wasted on him. But there were others that benefited from what God was doing in the early stages, getting rid of Athaliah and, and repairing the house of God. So there were people that benefited from this. But on a personal level, it, he threw it all away. He became an apostate. Amaziah, his son, will execute these two men. We'll get that in chapter 14. Uh, the way to ruin God's blessing is to turn against God. It's not very difficult. So we'll close with this verse, Second Chronicles 24, verse 22. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him. I know I read this verse already but killed his son. And as he died, that is the son Zechariah, he said, Yahweh, look on it and repay. And the Lord granted that, that prayer request, and this king had, had been killed in the end. He died as a fool. Uh, let's pray. Our father... Um, Sure takes a lot of work to sort through all of these events. The enemy coming, being paid off, returning, just all of ins and outs. And yet, all of it is worth it. It is it, it, it to to study your word is to make ourselves available to blessings on a personal level. And we thank you for this. And perhaps the most sweetest the sweetest part, perhaps the sweetest part of it all is your great mercy towards us, your determination to forgive and to restore time and time again. We love and worship you. We ask that you get us all home safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.